When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of our discussion with Mike Westoff, retired NFL coach who recently wrote a book entitled Figure It Out. And really, that's the theme throughout his career with everything he talks about here, too, is that as a football coach, you just have to figure it out. You have to find ways that it's going to work for you in your situation. And it's something he did over the course of his career. So today he's going to start off talking about his time with the New Orleans Saints and specifically Taysom Hill. Here's part two. I know one of the guys you worked with there and and you wrote about in your book is certainly a special football player. I mean, when you look at him, the guy can do everything, throw the ball, run the ball, catch the ball, and was an outstanding special teams player in in Taysom Hill. What got you so excited about that guy and and how he was going to be able to really help on your units and, and become an integral part of it. If I could put on a on the and on an Instagram or on Facebook or on one of those social media things, the text that I received from Taysom Hill last night, there's nobody in coaching that wouldn't exactly understand why we do this. What what he said to me last night, it was incredible. I mean, this is really a, a tremendous young man. Uh, and it came about totally by accident. You know, he was quarterback at Brigham Young, had gotten injured some, had been banged up, and was not drafted. He was picked up late, signed by Green Bay during the year. He had never dressed. The Saints picked him up, but he didn't dress. And then so I'm walking through the locker room one day, and I see this guy. And I'd only been there two weeks. He's coming out of the shower, wrapped in a towel. Who, who's this guy? He looks like Hercules. So I find us in Taysom Hill, he's a quarterback. Well, I had had some success with quarterbacks in special teams. You know, I had started with Jim Jensen, who was a great, you know, multi-purpose guy with the Miami Dolphins. And then, and then I had, you know, Brad Smith and Eric Smith up at the Jets. And then I even had Tim Tebow, which is a little different. Tim didn't quite fit into that category, but, but he did some things that were okay. So I found out. So I would go to see Sean Payton. He said, ah, oh, we like this guy as an athlete. He's never dressed. But, you know, we think he can maybe da-da-da-da-da. So I went to a strength coach, and I found out some things there. And then I brought him in. And I said, okay, I've had some luck. Have you ever done any of this? He said, no. I said, well, I'm going to give you a short course. I said, and maybe we'll look in practice if it, if it would work. Well, maybe you have a chance. Maybe you can get a chance to play. I said, or you can stand the sideline and sweats and watch the game. He said, well, let me try it. I'd like to try it. I knew after one practice that this was something special because not only at six, you know, six, three or so six, two and a half, 230 pounds, he could run in the four fours he could fly. He's tough as hell. And so I said, let's take a look. Oh my goodness gracious. This was a football player and it didn't take long. And next thing you know, he dresses and he just did tremendous. 
you know, we're playing, as it's in the book, we're playing Carolina. We win the toss. We decided to defer, so we kick off. Now, their coach, Tom McGahee, who's now with the, the Giants, a good friend of mine, and Tom says in the book, you know, I look out there and I see number seven. Who's number seven? He's a quarterback. Who's he? And he said, what's Mike doing? So they kick off. He runs down the field. He runs right through my two best blockers and tackles us on the 15-yard line. I went, oh, no, here we go. Well, that's who he was. That's At the end of the game, they had a punt, and he rushes a punter. The guy can't punt the ball. He tries to punt. He punts it straight up in the air. We catch it. We score an easy touchdown, and we win the game. After the game, he gets the game ball. He goes from never having run a play in the National Football League, never dressing a game to get in a game ball, and everybody's going crazy. That's what football's about, and that's who that young man is. He was so special. And if any coach could read what he sent to me, they would all know why we do this job. Coach, one of the big things that you take pride in is teaching. Uh, coaching is teaching. Uh, had a, a coach on from Miami Hurricanes the other day, offensive line coach Alex Mirabal, and, and, I mean, that came through loud and clear and Really, that's something you take pride in in your book, right? Being able to uh, teach those individuals and to have the attention of what is your classroom, that meeting room, really being able to engage those guys in that meeting and keep them engaged. And all of them have other things they're there for, right? They've been brought in to be whatever might be, uh, a quarterback, running back, receiver, linebacker, etc., so you got to grab them right away at, like a good teacher would, get them engaged in what, what they're doing. So f- for you, how did you go about that? What teaching methods did you use to really get these guys engaged in all you were doing to have the excellent special teams that you did? Good question. The way you ask it is pretty, pretty good, too. Um, I have a, I, my degree. I have my master's degree in uh, psychology. It's education. I'm not clinical. But um, and I'm a big believer in teaching and, you know, why we actually do learn. A little philosophy that I like is a, a psychologist named Haim Janot. Haim Janot was an was a Israeli, and he dealt mostly with children. And he believed that when you deal with children, if you can teach them and talk to them in a manner to which you see them becoming, their chances of becoming that are tremendously enhanced. So your third grader comes home and he had a tough time in math. And you look at his math test, and you let him know that he's kind of a dummy. Well, you're right, because he'll probably end up being a dummy. But you let him know that that's not, that's not at his level. And you find a way to keep bringing him along to it. The key thing is find a way. When I would walk in and look at that room of 40 faces, all looking at me. Now, about so many are, a certain number are already made it. A certain number have a really good chance. There's a certain number that have no chance. But then there's that group that are right on the edge. How are they going to do it? And you have to find a way to make them learn. You know, one of the most storied professors at many universities can be a top professor on campus. And in his class, and he might fail 40%. In our business, you fail 40%, you're going home tomorrow. These students have to become A students. And you better figure out a way to make it happen. Sometimes it takes more than others. Sometimes you may have to draw it. You have to help them. 
You have to bring them in for extra credit. Like Ben Kotwika, when he was with me, uh, he would have a little extra quarter class every Wednesday and Thursday night, sometimes even on Friday. And the guys would come in and they'd, they'd sit in there with him and he'd go over film with them. A lot of times what he did is he would level off what I had thrown, what I had thrown very complex problems at them. He would help them kind of digest it and, and, and smooth it out. And, uh, and it really worked. It worked for us. And so it's just a matter of, of figuring out how to do it. If you listen to what some of the guys said in the book, Zach Thomas, Larry Izzo, of how, you know, it didn't matter what role they have, whether it was a small role like Zach Thomas, or it was a real large role on special teams for Larry Izzo. A job worth having is a job worth doing well. And the one thing you as a coach have to always be prepared for, and I learned this very accidentally from Bear Bryant. And I, I won't describe the whole thing. I'm going to make you buy the book to, to get that. But very accidentally, I, I'm with him in Tuscaloosa, and we're actually walking into campus. And he gets tired, and he's asking, he's getting, he's getting old at this time. And, you know, he, he didn't live too, too much longer. And he was just such a gentleman. But anyway, we sat down on a curb to take a rest. It was a hot summer July. And he's sitting there, and he's wiping his brow. And he said, you know, Coach, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. He said, don't be afraid to change. He said, there's some things I should have changed on earlier than I did. He said, don't be afraid to change. The one thing we as coaches, sometimes we love what we're doing so much that that's the only thing we're looking at. And we're not looking at who's doing it and how it's being done. We're only looking at what it is. That's not the way to do it. Don't be afraid to change. I use that as a mantra for my entire career. I would change in a minute. I would check. If I saw something I liked, someone else was doing better, I'd change it. It might just be a wrinkle. It might be one guy, but don't be afraid to do that. Have that flexibility in every single thing that you do that you're not afraid to change. That was so very important for me. Well, Coach, the the other thing that really came through throughout the book was really being able to find the advantage and really looking at the details of what the opponent is doing or what you need to do and in some specific examples and there's there's plenty of them in the book but being able to for example draw a double team on a on a player who maybe isn't even your best player by moving things around or uh, there was a really good example of how you used to chart the snaps and where that snap would go on the the punter's body where it would take him and you noticed on one guy that if the center was blocking right, that was going to take him to the right. And you were able then to devise a scheme that with that extra half step, you're going to take advantage of it and get to the ball. So just the thoughts on going about as a special teams coach, finding those advantages, maybe things that other people aren't even thinking about. How did you get to that? Back in the late 1980s, that many people were charting punt snaps. I did it. I had a drawing. You can see the guy that I used. It was pretty simple the way we did it, but it came out very, very specific and you could really see it. And then I designed a punt block off it. That was against Chicago bears. Mike Ditka wrote in his, one of his books in a book that that was the, that loss that day, which, which gave away their home field advantage in the playoffs was the beginning of the downturn of his Chicago bear teams. And with, that started with a punt block where we knew, that if the, if the center had to block to his right, the ball always pushed over outside the punter's body, always. So we designed to block at the last second. We overshifted. He had to block that way, and then we blocked it, got the ball for an easy score, 
and that, that led to another type of play that we ran. But again, it's it's a lot of it's just a matter of designing and drawing things that you're getting an advantage of that you're gonna you're not afraid you can figure it out. A lot of times, I just I used to want to when, when you look, when you design something and you look at it, you should look for two things. One, what's a weakness? Where are they? What are they doing? that's maybe not very sound. You know, do they have a weakness? Is this guy? You know, is this guy not moving back on a punt the way he should be? And that's who I'm going to attack. So you're going to attack a guy like that, you know, because you just know that he can't do this. And you're going to put you know, your best guy against maybe their worst. But the one that I thought that I even liked more was to attack their best guys. I wanted their best football player after the game to hate to play me, to have never to not have not made a tackle. We would double team them. We, I used to have guys come to me and say, I remember a guy from New England told me one time he was he was going to another team. He said, I'm the happiest guy ever because I don't have to play you. He told me this on the field. He said, I haven't made a tackle against you in five years. I said, and you're never going to. Because I, 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 I'll double team you and not block that guy over there. I won't blame and block him because I don't think he can beat us. You, you can beat us. You know, I, I remember Deion Sanders is a, has become a good friend of mine. And I, I think he was an incredible player. And he's doing a nice job now as a coach. I told him, I said, you know, because he was, he was kidding me. And he said, you know, coach, you, you, you never gave me anything. I said, if you had to play against me every week, your whole career, I said, you'd be working as a greeter at Walmart. <laughs> I'm not giving you anything. You know, Reggie Roby's going to hit it nine miles high, right on the sideline. You're not getting an inch. And um, I, I have a game ball that I got after we played them one year that they, they made for me. It has Deion Sanders uh, drawn on it and had total return yards during the game. Eight. Eight. That's it. And we, we beat them. So, you know, I love beating their best guy. I don't care how. You know, if I have to, if I have to use an extra guy, okay, so what? So this guy over here, he can't make the tackle. He he can't he can't block Leon Washington in the open field. Forget it. This guy, I'm not going to let him. I'm going to beat him up. We're going to make it just miserable. He's never going to want to play us. So to me, two things that I look for: one was where are they very weak, and one where are they very strong. I'm going to take advantage of one, and try to eliminate the other. That to me, when you do a game plan, that's where you should start. Coach, amongst all the roles you have taken on in your career, and you know, I think a lot of these weren't even formalized in, in specific positions that that you would even hear of at the time. But uh, in a lot of ways, uh, you, you know, you talk about doing arranging camps, and uh, I mean, just all the things you would do and finding a facility, all those things that you certainly took on the role of a DFO, director of football operation. But also, you were one of the first assistant head coaches as well. And, and when you look at just that role and how that's changed over time, how have you seen that evolve as the assistant head coach? Well, it depends on the head coach, of course. Like, with, I mean, I, I was not, obviously, in New Orleans with Sean Payton. I mean, he had one. He didn't need it, you know, because he, he really loves to run the whole game. But sometimes, if you're in that role, and how can you help the head coach with situations, clock management? you know, possibly challenges. Where are you in that? Can you help a little bit? Do you understand that? You know, sometimes it would be, you know, uh, you know, we need, you've got to, we've got to get a timeout here. Just little things to help them. That, and sometimes I think I did it well. And sometimes I, I think I could have done it better. You know, I, I could have done it better. Some, 
some coach, some guys needed it more. Don Shula did not. I, I, I trust me, I didn't do anything with him. But like Herman, Herman needed some help. Sometimes I helped him well. Sometimes I think I wish I had done a better job. Eric Mangini, I, I liked helping him. He was good at it. And he, he wanted, you know, he wanted to talk about a situation. With Rex, Rex kind of let us all do our own thing, but we all kind of worked together. And with Rex, it wasn't that I was telling him what to do, but we were discussing it and, and it worked. I, what Rex, I, I did a thing with Rex. We had an official in practice, a guy named Bob Miller, actually was a, uh, he's a golf pro, uh, you know, kind of a country club type golf pro in Long Island. And he was one of our high school or our officials. And, and we, so Bob was a very bright man. So I, I asked him about um, challenges. He said, let me try something. Let me study. So he broke down all the NFL officials of the, what they did when their call was being challenged. And, and he became really good at it. So he would actually go to all our games, sit in the press box. And during those situations, if a challenge situation came up, Bob would recommend to, 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 to Rex Ryan as to what we should do. Should we challenge this? Should we no way this guy? And at the end of it, during that period of time when we did that, we had the highest success percentage in the national football league we were first you want to win some games maybe do the little things try try doing some of the little things well see if that helps you you know we we didn't have tom brady you know we had mark sanchez and i and i like mark was mark tom brady he was not but he was a very manageable quarterback for the type of offense we had we led the league in rushing we had a good offensive line we could run a controlled passing game and we could control the clock so the next thing you know we're in two afc championship games two they they, they have they haven't even seen a playoff game since now i think they're a little bit better and they, they may be headed back in that direction i'm going to root for them i think they're headed in that direction. i hope but they, they have not been but that's what we did well and all of a sudden you know at the top management level we're going to change we're going to change our we're now we're going to become the new england patriots with tom brady it was stupid. It didn't work. That's that you say what you want. That's the reality. And so sometimes if you're in that role, you have to know what is needed. And at the times I think I did it very well. And there were times when I, I wish I had done it better, but uh, that's kind of how it works. We came with Rex and I, we developed this uh, four down territory thing that I studied. I got a kind of a computer whiz to help me and we studied for a five-year period what took place from the uh, from the plus 50. How do how we work it? From the 50 to the 40 and from the 40 to the 20. Okay, you know, from the 40 to the 30. Those two areas on fourth down, what happened? And we broke these teams down. New York, Jets and Giants, okay? Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo, New England, Philadelphia, Washington, Baltimore, all that corridor. Everybody plays outside. Everybody has weather. What took place on fourth down? And what we found out, nothing good. Nothing nothing really good. If, a, if you had to punt, if it wasn't inside the 10, it didn't get a plus. A field goal, where was it from? Did you make it or not? Going forward on fourth down, what was the success? And what we found out is that in these areas, nothing worked. Nobody did a great job. So what we came up with is we came up with four down territory. So we knew that when we entered that territory, we could let Brian Schottenheimer, our coordinator, know, Brian, 
it's your, you do whatever you want, but you've got four downs, not three, four. You don't have to worry about going for it on fourth down. We're not going to get in a situation where we're going to say, okay, Brian, go for it on fourth down. No, 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 no. On first down. So he knows he only has to get two and a half yards. Now, if on fourth down, it became unadvantageous because of something that had happened, then the call went to me and I decided what to do. You know, should we kick it? Should we punt it? Or maybe throw it back to Rex and say, Rex, our, our best shot's here. Let's go for it. So we did it together and we had tremendous success doing that. Tremendous. It really worked for us. But again, you know, we figured out a philosophy that works. There's a couple things that I think I, I saw as advantages to what you were doing that a lot of people don't do. One was, and you mentioned it here, really taking advantage. You know, you guys at the pro level have officials coming to practice. So you, you know, those guys didn't just leave. You were talking to them about what they saw and understanding the game, especially from a rule standpoint. I know you became highly involved in, in uh, a lot of the rules in the league. Uh, and, the, and then the other one you brought up, too, is clock management. And I'm seeing it more and more. I think some teams are getting really good at that and understanding that we have a lead that they can't overcome. We just need to be really smart and bleed the clock. And, yeah, it's going <laughs> to it's gonna anger the fans maybe a little bit. But I think those two areas just are not used enough. I think a lot of coaches couldn't even tell you who's responsible for certain calls. And, and they're, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll get on the wrong side of officials right away, start chirping at the wrong guy who doesn't even have that call. Uh, I think both of those things are, are areas where coaches can gain an advantage because most people aren't looking at them. Just would like to get your thoughts on that. It's just a matter of understanding what you have to get done. I mean, go back to the Super Bowl a few years ago when Atlanta had the big lead on, on New England. They had the big lead at half. And then look, look how they, they managed the second half of that game. I'm sure as an Atlanta Falcon fan or you know even Dan Quinn, I wish he had to do it over. You don't have to. You don't have to tell the coordinator what play to call, but you sure do, as a head coach, have to be able to tell him to run the ball or control his passing. Because all of a sudden you can't be you can't be running seven step drops type things and only have taken you know a handful of seconds off the clock. That's great. You got a big lead. If they had managed it properly, they'd have won the Super Bowl. There's not just the way it is. And, and so I think you have to understand that. Because a lot of times coordinators sometimes. You know, we, I always tease about it. Some of the offensive coordinators, you know, they'd rather complete a pass than go to heaven. You know, that's just who they are. You know, they, they, they don't even, they're clocked. They don't even know where the hell it is. You know, they're just coming out and they're calling and running and throwing. Okay, but then you're a head coach. You better straighten that out. You've got to know how to do this and how to manage it. And so everybody gets involved, and the head coach has to be the guy. And sometimes he's got an assistant can help him maybe a little bit. It depends on how it works, but that's up to him. But understand how you have to get through this and what you have to do. I mean, Buffalo at this past year in a great playoff game with a great comeback with a handful of seconds at the end of the game, when they kick off, you have to put the ball in play. You can't kick a touchback where no time comes off the clock and they start at the 25 yard line. Some teams, depending on the kicker could have hit it real, real high, dropped it down around the number. You don't have to go to the goal line to the sideline by the number around the eight or 10 yard line and then run down and cover it. They'll keep them in there, make the clock run. That extra handful of seconds would have gone off would have put Buffalo to the championship game and it would not let Kansas city do it. They would have won the game. Those are the kind of things you have to know. You have to be all on the same page and you have to operate, but understand 
that that's, that's a big part of the game. And you as a special teams coach have to know those situations, how to handle them, what to do, you know, when to, you know, to take that, that you know, we said there was a different words we used to squeeze that when you want to punt, come out, take, take as much time as possible off being able to punt it, or sometimes go out, let's get a kick guys. Let's go. You've got to know that we've got to get things going. And so, you know, being able to use that, it, it's so, so important. It, and, uh, and, and as, as football, uh, as it becomes what's happening in football today, there are less, less variables. This is particular at the college level and in the NFL, for sure, less variables in which you can win. You know, you don't have as many special teams plays. You don't. It, it's fast break football. You know, it's a little bit like plugging in the old, you know, the old game where the guys just moved all around on an electric board. That's kind of what it is today. You know, everybody loves, you know, you went 45 to 42. You don't have. The years I was with the Jets, all the things that we were able to do special teams wise, field position, both ways, leading the league, having the most punt blocks, one of those types of things, having the most scores, best field. That helped us get in the playoffs. This is the key for us winning so many games. No, it was not, but it helped us get in the playoffs. Without it, we would have never gotten in, but it helped us. And the next thing you know, we're a pretty good football team. You know, we're not great, but we're pretty good. And, and we're headed in the right direction. So that clock management, game management, understanding it, practicing those situations, absolutely imperative. Coach, you mentioned it, the future of the game. It's the one of the last chapters in your book. And you look at how the game has changed. And, and I would hate to see the kickoff and kick return leave the game. I know where the ball's placed now, that's changed quite a bit. I've seen some of these spring leagues try alternative forms of doing things there. But I've always loved the play. And as I learn more and more and more about it, it's just a beautiful play. There's so many things going on with technique and timing, and it's certainly different from maybe the first schemes I learned probably as a player where it was like, I mean, kickoff and kick return were very, at that time, in my opinion, very archaic. It was gladiators just running blindly down the field. You know, I can remember one of the versions we had was basically two flying wedges arms weren't interlocked or anything but it was very close to something that's highly illegal in football but you know I've, I've seen it it has changed there's no double teams anymore but still the opportunity to be able to coach that play up and and uh, have I think one of the most exciting plays in football yet we see less and less and less of it so thoughts on that and just as you see the game the future of the game you know a little bit you know certainly Coaches, go read the book and get it all. But, uh, Coach, if you could share some of that with us. Okay, a couple of things. I'll start with the kickoff. And this is the one they probably will not change because at the end of the day, they just don't want as many plays. They just don't. The, the, the statistics are still you know, higher than what they want as far as injuries go because of the collisions. Even though the collisions have been dramatically reduced because now you don't give the kick team a running head start. He has to line up a yard from the ball. You know, they're all lined up balanced by five. You can't, you know, do all the crazy stuff that I used to do. You know, when I ran guys all in motion and did all that, it's a friendly ball that they use to kick it. You know, it's buffed up a little bit. It's uh, uh, what they do is to, you know, when they go in before the game, the, the offense and defense brings in the balls that they're going to use. The official checks them for pounds per square inch, you know, and, that, and that's what they use during the game. You know, you've got the, 
you know, the, 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 the New York Jet ball and you've got the Miami Dolphin ball. Okay. Then they go in and they take, I think it's six, I believe five or six, something like that, balls that the official takes right out of the box. He puts his mark on it, initials or whatever he does, uh, checks it for, uh, put, puts in the proper air pressure. And then each team has a representative there, like a manager. And, and they take the ball and they, 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 they buff it. They put a piece of AstroTurf down on a table and they buff the ball like you'd shine your shoes. So it's not illegal. It's very legal, but it's a friendly ball. Now, the kickers make it pretty clear to the officials during the game that they would like to use as many times possible the same ball to try to keep, you know, using that same ball. And they use it over and over. It's a friendly ball. It's friendly. Now, so you look at, you know, people have asked why, you know, that, that like, you know, Tucker, the great kicker at Baltimore, can make the long field goal. Well, first of all, with his technique, he's wide from the ball. He generates incredible leg speed to the ball. Now, a lot of guys couldn't do that but he's so accurate in his approach that he's very consistent. All right. You've got a question for you. You know, when's the last time you saw a bad snap? You don't see bad snaps. They're perfect because you can't line anybody up on the center. So long snappers today look like high school phys ed teachers. No disrespect. They're they're, they're nice guys, but that's what they are. You don't have to be great, big, giant offensive linemen. Everybody's learned how to hold today. So they know to put that back leg up. They catch the ball. They bring it back. It takes the inside elbow, puts it right into the inside part of the knee, helps you put the ball right down on the spot. So you pretty much have a perfect snap, a perfect hold, and a very friendly ball. Okay? You can't, there's certain things you cannot do on the rush. You can't push anymore. You know, they talked, I got one of the officials talked to me the other day about uh, not letting the linemen line up with their legs interlocked. So they're trying to make it a little bit more difficult because right now they believe it's too easy. All right. If you don't have a kicker that can make about 90% of his kicks, you better find another guy because you're dealing with the perfect snap, the perfect hold, a friendly ball, and the rushes is varied. So if you can have, if you have a decent get-off time, which would be a little bit under 1.3 seconds from snap to kick, you know, you're at one, two, eight, something like that. You should make a heck of a lot of kicks. That's the reality. And if you don't, then you better find another guy. So, you know, the, the, these things have, have changed. So, okay, what I want to do on a kickoff, because the rules are the way they are, they're not going to change moving guys around. They're not going to let you run a wedge. You're not going to be able to trap and double team certain ways. So what they've done is they've eliminated a lot of the collision. They've eliminated a lot of it. So what I want to do, is have a, a third ball in the game, a ball that's only used to kick off. And it's pretty much taken right out of the box. So it will not constrict and explode the way the ball does now. All right, so instead of that kickoff coming down minus eight, it'll come down plus three, and we'll have a play. Now, the play will not have a lot of the ramifications that plays used to have, but we'll have a play. And the good coaches will figure out how to make that play effective. To me, it's that simple. I, want, I, I, won't, I, I won't overemphasize the collision part of it. I'll keep it minimal, but I want to create a play. Frankly, I don't believe they'll do it. I wrote about it. I talked about it, but I don't think it'll happen. All right, now the punt. The punt, the guy talked to me about the punt. He says it's the most penalized play in football, and it's the most injury-riddled play. I think it's I think it's BS myself in a lot of ways because number one the play's three times longer than any other play so you're going to get more penalties 
you know, the penalty, I can straighten the whole thing out. I actually wrote all about how to help with penalties, how to teach it the right way, all those types of things. I think that's a good answer there. I would, I would make a rule that on a punt, the, wide, the, the end man on the line, the gunner or flyer, whatever you want to call him, that he has to line up within one yard of the number. Either side, wherever he wants, one yard of the number. He cannot go out and line up on the sideline. A lot of penalties occur because of that's what's happening. That's going on. And I would take that out of it. Plus, if you move them in, that's going to help the double. That'll help put the return back in the game. Again, I want to, I want to keep the play alive. Also, if you're punting to the side and the ball's on the hash and you're punting into that short side and you've got the defense lined up by the number, then that rusher can be a factor. So, That'll make that a little bit tougher. Again, you're just making a small adjustment, but it makes the play a more exciting and viable play you know, because some of the punts have been eliminated. You know, I asked, someone asked a reporter the other day, was doing a thing with me, and I said, okay, in the last couple of years, when's the last time you saw a team punt the ball, punt it out of their own end zone? You've got to think. You have to think. It just doesn't happen today because of field position, the way the game's being played. Nobody cares about that play. They want us to see 45-42. That's, that's the great game. So all I want to do is make these plays viable. Bring them back a little bit and keep it safe. Keep it safe, but make it exciting and keep this part of the game back alive. Now, I was fortunate where I think we took it to a point that it had never been before. Unfortunately, it'll never go again. That's why I wrote the book. Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time. I certainly appreciate you writing that book. It's, it's something I think I'll refer back to often as we talk about special teams on this podcast. So, again, thank you. Thank you for the time and gracious with your time here and helping us out and helping us think about different things in this game. Well, you did a good job. It was fun talking with you. You, you do a nice job. You were very you understand it, that's for sure. And you bring up some good points that we could address. So hopefully people will enjoy it. I'm very proud of the book. I think they'll, they'll, they'll read something. It's not just all football, as you well know. There's, there's a lot of medicine in that book. There's yes. a lot of things like that. There's a lot of just general things. I, I think anyone will read it. They'll be able to say, you know, these are principles that if I apply in my life or my, my business or whatever, now not that they just got them for me. This is a kind of a culmination of things. I think they'll really enjoy the book. And, and for, you know, you, in this day and age, I think you, you can spend $20 and they'll deliver it to your door. You know, you go get $20 of gas, you're lucky to get down the street. And so I think it's a, a really well, a really worthy investment. And the guys that helped me do it, I couldn't be more proud or more thankful that we kind of did this together with the players that did it. So, so thank you for having me on. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. The link to Coach Westoff's book can be found in the show notes as well as links to related content. Follow all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com and follow us all season long for our in-season episodes. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.